Man, praise the Lord for His goodness, you know, for His presence here with us today. You know, I was thinking about the old uh, George Beverly Shea song, I'd rather have Jesus uh, than anything. George Beverly Shea died, he was 104 years of age just um, a few months ago. And when he was a young man in his 80s, boy, he could, he just really, just really <laughs> would bellow this song out. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be His than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by His nail-pierced hand. Y'all remember this? than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread swing. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Isn't that a powerful song? I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to His dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than this world's fame. I'd rather be true to His holy name. He's fairer than the lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey out of the, out of the comb. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let Him lead. Isn't that a powerful song? That was totally unexpected. I didn't know we were going to break out in the old George Beverly Shea song. Thank you, Terry, for presenting just a feast of worship for us uh, today, to worship God. Our question today is, Jesus really God? Well, if you're here today, then there is welling up within you a resounding, inexorable, unquenchable, yes, absolutely, unequivocally, unambiguously. Jesus Christ is indeed God of God. But we do recognize that there are many people, yea, most in the world, who do not affirm that, who do not recognize the deity, the divinity, the divine nature of Jesus of Nazareth. And so today we are preaching on this austere, pristine, wonderful topic of the deity of Jesus Christ. And if you're a seeker, if you're an agnostic, an atheist, If you're someone who is, you know, just just processing this and trying to come to grips with the deity of Christ, then we welcome you today. We're thrilled that you're here today. Many of you are watching us online, and and I thank you for watching us online. God bless you. Many of you are watching us all over the nation on DirecTV and the NRB uh, network. God bless you. Thank you for tuning us in. We're honored, honored to be able to share a message with you today entitled, Is Jesus Christ? Is He God? Some of the greatest minds in the history of mankind have said yes to that rhetorical question. I think about Augustine, the Bishop of Hippo, who died in A.D. 430, prodigious great mind. I think of the reformers of the Christian faith, such as Martin Luther and Ulrich Zwingli, and of course John Calvin. I think about men, men who had a great mind, and yet they also had a a tender heart like Jonathan Edwards, 
Perry Miller of Harvard University said, the greatest mind that colonial America ever produced was not Washington, it was not Adams, it was not Jefferson or Madison. It was a preacher, a Puritan preacher up in Northampton, Massachusetts by the name of Jonathan Edwards. You could put Blaise Pascal in that same category of great minds and yet a tender heart. And I share this with you because there is this dichotomy created, a myth created in our in our culture today that if you say yes to Christ and yes to the supernatural, then you cannot be educated and then you, you really cannot be a deep thinker, but I believe it's just the opposite. I think C.S. Lewis was right. I think that it, the, the, pure, the rational individual will admit uh, that there is a God. Blaise Pascal, perhaps you've heard of him. He was the Frenchman who was born uh, in 16... 23 and died at the age of 39 in 1662. He was a child prodigy in mathematics and science, something that I greatly admire because I have absolutely zero gifts in math and science, but I really admire those that do. When he was 16 years of age, he developed his first serious contribution in the discipline of mathematics. Descartes, the famous philosopher in France, got a copy of what we today know as Pascal's theorem on the hexagram. And he read that, and he goes, no, no teenager could produce this. And he accused his father of writing it and submitting it in his name. But his father didn't write it. His son did, his brilliant son. When he was a teenager, he wanted to help his father, and he was very close to his family. He wanted to help his dad because his dad was working on in taxes, and he was working on multiple calculations and so Blaise Pascal, as a teenager, began to work on this machine. And people laughed at him. They thought, what kind of machine is that? Come on in, sweetie. That's good. <laughs> Amen. That's sweet. Um, my ADD, I'm going to get I'm all shaken up here. Let me, let, me, let me come back to focus. He, he was working. He, he developed 50 prototypes of this machine. Finally, still a teenager, he presented to his dad the first calculator. He created the calculator, which many people believe then Pascal should be attributed to the genius behind the modern-day computer. But I'll share his story with you today because when he was 31 years of age, he gave his life to Christ. Great mind, tender heart. And he wrote a book called Pensis, which in French it means thoughts. And in this book, he developed what is known today as the wager theory. And the wager theory is a, is a very powerful argument and a popular argument even today. And it goes something like this, and I'll just encapsulate it. I'll, I'll give it to you briefly. He, he goes like this. He said, if you believe in God and God exists, you gain everything. If you believe in God and God does not exist, what do you lose? Well, you lived a moral life, you helped a lot of people, and it was all a hoax, but you did nobody any harm, and so you're, you're done, okay? But then he turned it around and he said, but what if God exists and you live as if he does not exist? Then you lose everything. And so he presented this to his colleagues and to his other brilliant scientists and mathematicians, and he said, think about it like this, and it helped many people, and it still helps many people today. That's Blaise Pascal, wager theory. 
today as I share this message with you on the deity of Christ, I, I do want to engage your mind. I'm a firm believer that we don't check our minds in at the, at the door when we walk into the worship center. I'm afraid too often we've misunderstood church to be a, just a place of, uh, of excitement and worship and just, and you know, oh, that's fun. See my friends, hear a little, you know, hear a little pep talk and then go back in the world. No, Jesus said, God the Father, he, He's looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And it was John Piper, a great Edwardsian theologian, who said, that means let us worship God with an affair of our hearts as well as an affair of our minds. And so I want to engage you today in your mind, in your cognitive, uh, cerebral mind. I want you to think deeply about this subject. Is Jesus Christ really all that he said he was? Is he God or is he not? Well, it is very popular today, and I'm finding as we've been talking about this in our systematic theology class on Thursday mornings, that a lot of the arguments today are really old meals just revisited, warmed up, cooked over. C.S. Lewis, the great Oxford mind that he was, he wrote a book in the 50s called Mere Christianity. And in that book, I'm telling you, if you have not seen that book or read that book, you owe it to yourself if you are a genuine seeker. If you're a genuine skeptic, then I invite you to read Mere Christianity. Because it's so popular today to devalue Jesus and to present him as a moral good teacher, but that's all. And I want you to listen to what C.S. Lewis wrote when he said, I am trying here to prevent anybody from saying the foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a good moral teacher. In fact, he would be a lunatic. <laughs> he would be a lunatic on the same level of a man who said, I'm an egg. I'm a poached egg. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him, you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come away with any patronizing nonsense about him just being a good moral human being. He has not left that open to us he did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious. <laughs> I get emotional when I read this. C.S. Lewis, one of the great minds of literature. Later on in his life, in his 40s, he, he comes to faith in Christ and he's wrestling with this. He's wrestling with the deity of Jesus and, and Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien. The Lord of the Rings is talking to him and he's speaking to him and he's, he's three o'clock in the morning. He said, he said, Lewis, you can believe, you can believe that Jesus Christ is really God. And C.S. Lewis said these words. Now it seems to me obvious that Jesus was neither a lunatic nor was he a fiend. And consequently, however strange or however terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was, he is God. End of quote. There are so many 
biblical text from which I could preach this message on the deity of Christ, I thought about some of these texts. I thought about John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, the deity of Christ. I thought about Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the very form, morphe, the very form of God, did not consider it robbery, but to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, came in the form of a man, humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. I thought about Philippians 2. I thought about Colossians chapter 1. In him, through him, Everything that was made was made through him. I thought about Hebrews chapter 1, where the writer of the book of Hebrews says, you want to see what God looks like? You want the very express image? We talked about this in our theology class the other day. We talked about the Greek word character, and that's where we get our English word character. He said, you want to see the very character, the very heart, the very ontology, the very essence of an unseen God? Then look at his son. For when you look at his son, then you see God for who he really is. There's so many. Oh, I thought about the Gospels. Those biographical books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and each one of them in their own flavor and in their own way, they present an unassailable, impregnable argument about the deity of Christ and the miracles he performed and the words that he preached and, and the life that he lived and the vicarious suffering of his death and then his glorious resurrection. And, and I thought about the Gospels. And it was in one of those Gospels this week as I'm thinking about what will I say? God, there's so much I want to say. And I thought about John, the Gospel of John. Have you read the Gospel of John lately? As I read the Gospel of John, I'm so, I fall so much very in love with Jesus Christ. And here's what's so amazing about him. God in the flesh, humble, so humble, so meek, so kind, so gentle. And, and in the Gospel of John, Jesus' is, is, is theme is, I come to do the Father's will. Whatever the Father has commissioned me to do, that will I do. And I, and I give my life away in service to the Father, and I honor Him, and I, I give Him glory, and, and He has honored me. So in John chapter 8, I, I want you to read with me as we begin this message, Was Jesus Really God? And I want to share with you, it's, it's not the primary text, but I've got to read verses 41 and 42 because it prepares us for this incredible dialogue between Jesus Christ and the Jews of his day. You do the deeds of your father, Jesus said. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. Are y'all with me today? Y'all know what that means. The Jews believed that Jesus was, <laughs> he was a bastard child. He had no he had no real home because Mary got pregnant, you see, out of wedlock. And, and they said, well, we're, at least we're not the products of fornication, you reprobate. That's what the Jews were telling him, Christ. We have one Father, and that is God. And Jesus said to them, if that was me, I would have said, 
be gone. And I would have struck them down with lightning and said, do you think I'm not God? Well, how about this? Shazam! Kaboom! And they've been dead. And I said, let's start this thing over, all right? And this is, this is why I love him so much, because he's so greater than me. He's so amazing. Makes me want to worship him. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. <laughs> For I came from him. I proceeded forth and I came from God, nor have I come of myself, but God sent me. Now, that is the stage. That, that is the, 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 the backstory, if you will. And now let's go into our text as we read John chapter 8, beginning in verse 48. And here they come again. They're going to dialogue with him. They're going to argue with him. In fact, they're going to do more than that. They're going to, I mean, they're just going to eviscerate him verbally. The Jews said, do we not rightly say that you're a Samaritan and you're full of demons? That's what they said about Jesus. Do y'all get C.S. Lewis now? <laughs> you cannot say Jesus is neutral. You can't neuter him. You can't just say, well, he's a good moral teacher. You cannot do that and be intellectually honest. He is either God or he's the devil. you got to decide. None of this condescending, oh, I, I think you did some good things. No, 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 no. You either got to cast him away or you got to fall on your face and worship him. Jesus said, I do not have a demon. But I, here he comes. I just honor my father. And you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. Can any of us say that today? No, look at me real quickly. Can any of you say that? Be honest. None of us can say that. Because all of us are very interested in us. We want glory, we want honor, we want prestige, we want people to recognize us, and yet the Son of God said, I don't want any of that. In fact, the only reason I left the glory of the Father is so that I could come and do His will, and I just seek His honor, and I seek His glory, because He is the one who seeks and judges. And then He said, most assuredly, I say unto you. Now, if you're taking notes, and I want you to highlight or I want you to write in, in the margin of your Bible, star, exclamation point, this is big news. Because Jesus in the Greek, he is prefacing it in such a way to bring our attention to it mentally. Most assuredly, I say unto you, if anybody keeps my word, he shall never see death. In Jesus' estimation, he is God. You can't make statements like that. Tell people, hey, you're going to live forever if you don't have the authority to back it up. Then the Jews said to him, verse 52, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham is dead, and the prophets are dead. And yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. And they were aghast at him. They were like, man, you're off your rocker. You are a lunatic. Whoop, 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 whoop. You've lost your mind. You can't say that. Are you greater than Father Abraham, who is dead? Are you greater than the prophets, and they're dead? Who do you? Here it is. Here's why I chose this text, one of the reasons. Is Jesus God? Who are you? They're looking at him, and they're saying, who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, verse 54, if I honor, here he goes again. 
They just, oh, I just can't, I can't, I can't understand this. It would be so great, it would be so awesome. He is awesome. He had to be so humble. If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that He is your God. Yet you have not known Him, but I know Him. And if I say I do not know Him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know Him, and I keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you're, you're, you're not even 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, now here it is again. Please note this, mark this down because Jesus is saying, let me have your attention, make sure you get this. Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I am. I am. Mercy. I don't know about you, I just got to get on my knees. I just got to worship the king. He is the one true God. Before Abraham was, I am. Now, some of you are going, wait a minute. Did Jesus mean by saying that that he's like God? I don't think that's the right interpretation, Brother Danny. Oh, yes, it is. You know how I know it's the right interpretation? Look at the next verse. Okay, so they took up stones to throw at him and kill him. But Jesus hid himself, and he went out of the temple, going through the midst of them. And so passed by. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to highlight, I think, what John wants us to highlight. Verses 51 and 58, Jesus said, Amen, Amen. And that is the Hebrew. He transliterated, transliterated Hebrew back, right into Greek. And we translate it from Hebrew to Greek right into English when we say, Amen, Amen. Your translation may say, Verily, Verily. The New King James Version says, most assuredly, without any residue of doubt whatsoever, listen to me. If you believe in me, and if you know me, you will never, ever die. And most assuredly, I say unto you, before Abraham was, notice Jesus did not say I was, but before Abraham was, I so if you're filling in the blanks there in your notes, number one, declaration number one is never see death. Never see death. Now that is a claim, if I ever read one, to deity. In verse 48, in addition to their accusations of Jesus being born illegitimately, they now add this accusation that he is a Samaritan who has a demon. Now I'm going to tell you something, guys. I hope that's not lost in translation for you. To be called a Samaritan... In that day and age, it was, it was one of the harshest things that a person could say to another because the Samaritans were so looked down upon. In 722, when Assyria captured the northern kingdom with its capital in Samaria, they deported the Jews and they left behind some and they made them intermingle with the nations around them and so they were called half-breeds. How about that? 
Yeah, a bunch of half-breeds. You're not of the pure Jewish blood. No, you are a half-breed. It would be like a white man looking at a black man today and pointing his finger at him and saying, you ain't nothing but an in. Okay? You're nothing but that. That's exactly what they meant. In fact, it was even harsher than that. And then they said, not only are you a Samaritan, you're a demon. Can you get your mind around that for me? I mean, Jesus, God, come in the flesh, is being accused of being a demon. Then verse 49, Jesus just calmly responds. Like I said a moment ago, I think I would have obliterated them or at least said something. You know what I'm saying? Say something. Let them have it. And it's not that Jesus does not have the capacity and the mental wherewithal to let them have it. He just restrains himself. He restrains himself. He said, I don't have a demon, in case you're wondering, in case you think I do, but I honor the Father. He he humbly puts himself before the Father to do the Father's will. And I quoted Philippians 2, 6 and 7 a moment ago. He is in the very morphe of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, kenosis. He emptied himself of all those wonderful privileges, and and he came to earth. He took the form, the morphe, of a bondservant, a doulos, And he came in the likeness of men. In verse 50, the words of Jesus arrest my soul. Even as his people, there is a tendency to seek our glory. And I just am just, it's like I've never read this before. In verse 50, it says, I do not seek my own glory. I'm not interested in self-promotion. I'm not interested, I'm not ambitious. I just want to do the Father's will. Now, this past week, I was in uh, Dallas on Monday and Tuesday and had an opportunity. <laughs> Goodness, that's interesting. Somebody's been eating up here or something. I don't know what that is. See, it's, it's, it's amazing. I, I tell you, something happens to me when I start preaching. I see everything. I can see this person walking, that person walking, see that person walking. And I, I just see everything. I'm like, it's amazing, preacher, that I can even preach. Because my mind is so weird. What in the world was I saying? I was in Dallas on um, Monday and Tuesday, and Tim <laughs> came up to me in the coffee shop and said, How was Dallas? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I hadn't been to Dallas. He said, uh, Okay. He said, Didn't you go to Dallas Monday? I said, Oh, that Dallas. Yeah, I was, I was, I was there. It's, it's weird. Um, and it was a group of 170 pastors from all over the country, and we just come together to pray for two days. And we shut the government down. Can you imagine that? I mean, we prayed, and we shut the government down. It's amazing. And we keep it closed. So we're, we're praying, and, and interspersed within our prayer is amazing worship. And we all sing, I'd rather have Jesus. Oh. It was, it was a highlight to me of the two days. A couple of preachers got up, and they said, you know, we're talking about revival, and we're talking about spiritual awakening, and, and I tell you, it doesn't begin in the White House. It doesn't begin in the State House. It begins in our house. It begins in my house and your house and our church houses. Why don't we get on our face before God as pastors and repent of our pride? Why don't we do that right now? And boy, we dropped to our knees and we cried out to God, Oh God, have mercy on us because America would not be in the position she's in if we were the men of God you created us to be. It was a holy moment. 
And Jonathan Falwell, y'all know that name? Jerry Falwell's son. He got up, man, he laid it on us. He said, what's up with some of you preachers going to speak in other people's churches and say you have to have a particular candy? I mean, really? No, no, I, in the green room, I need Skittles, baby. I, I just got to have my Skittles. Really? I seek my father's honor. I'd rather have Skittles. And he, he goes, really? And one preacher, he put it really good. He said, us pastors, we're the only people who can strut sitting down. <laughs> And I, and I thought about Jesus in, in verse 50, and he says, no, I'm, I'm not into any of that. <laughs> is, is he not appealing to you? I mean, if you're here today with an open mind, does that not genuinely appeal to you, that Jesus would say such things? And in verse 51, here it is. He does not have an identity crisis. He knows who he is, and he speaks with authority when he says, if you believe in me, you will never die. Now, what does that mean? Here's, here's how the Jews interpreted that. They interpreted that to mean Jesus has the audacity to say, if you be one of my little followers, you're never going to die. You're just going to live forever. And, and they totally misconstrued him, misunderstood him, and that's not what he was saying. He was not saying, believe on me and you'll never die on this earth. You'll live forever and ever and ever. That's not what he said. What he was saying was, believe on me, and though you die physically, you will live eternally. See, Jesus, they're on this level, he's on this level. But they're the ones that think he has a demon. One writer put it this way, and I like this. He said, death can be physical and it can be eternal. But the one who is obedient to Jesus, even though that one may die physically, will live eternally. Was Jesus God? According to his own words, he was, he is. Verse 52, they, they started arguing with him. And I, I found, you ever tried to argue with God? That's, that's bad, bad. I'm, I never win an argument with God. Are you greater than Abraham? Y'all know who Abraham was, the founding father of Judaism. Are you greater than him? How about the prophets? And they're referring to the Old Testament prophets. You know, Elijah and Isaiah and Malachi and Jeremiah. I mean, none of them ever said that. None of them ever had the audacity to say, believe on me and you'll never die. Are you greater than Abraham? Who are you? You're a demon. You're a Samaritan. You're a lunatic. What do you mean by saying that? I mean, they were, they were angry. It's preposterous. Who are you? In verse 53, who are you? And then Jesus responds. He said, he, in verse 54, he says, if I honor myself, I'm like, what in the world? I mean, I am just like, I've never read this before. He said, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me of whom you say that he is, he is your God. In verse 55, Jesus speaks with much boldness. He called them out. He called them a bunch of liars. Earlier in verse 44, he said, you are of your father, the, the devil, of Satan. That's who your, your dad is. So two times Jesus says, he knows God. And then he says, if I did not tell you the truth, then I would be a liar just like you. And, and I got to thinking about that, and I thought about us today. Those of us who follow Christ and those of us who say we know him, really the proof is in our lifestyle. Because anybody can say, I know God and I love God. Even the demons believe that there is God and they tremble. But 
And I, and I just got to write this. I, I, hope th- I hope you hear this in, in your heart when I say obedience reveals identity. To whom you obey, that is your God. Now, now, John says this way, same John who wrote, Now by this we know that we know God if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know God and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God, is perfected in him. And by this we know that we are in him. Why? Because we do what God has told us to do. And then Jesus comes back in verse 56 and he goes, Father Abraham, and this is where it just, oh man, just turn up the temperature 100 degrees. Father Abraham, verse 56, rejoiced to see my day. Now, what did he mean by that? This is a great moment here of, of Christology on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And, and we were talking about this this past um, Thursday as we were studying the doctrine of the Trinity. And in a few weeks, we will study the person and work of Jesus Christ, Christology proper. And, and Jesus says, Abraham, oh yeah, I know Abraham. In fact, Abraham, last I, I remember seeing Abraham, he was... He was flipping out with joy as he watched the second person of the Godhead take on human flesh. And that was just, they were just, they were astounded by that. And he rejoiced to see my day. Father Abraham, whom you say you know and you love, Father Abraham rejoiced to see. Now watch this. Jesus is is putting Abraham here and he's putting himself here. Are are y'all okay? Because you don't, you don't say that unless you are greater than the person that you're saying it about. No, no, no. I, I, I don't so much rejoice to see Abraham. No, Abraham rejoiced to see, to see me. And here's where it gets interesting. Verse 57, they responded with sarcastic rhetoric. What are you telling me? You're not even 50 years of age. Father Abraham lived 2,500 years ago and you're, on, you're not even 50? What in the world are you saying? And then declaration number two. If you're taking notes, just write these words, these two words. I am. I am. Verse 58. And he prefaces it with this word of verily, verily, or amen, amen. The Hebrew, the Greek, transliterated right into the English. Verily, verily, I say unto you, here it is, before Abraham was, I am. Now, Jesus could have said and been grammatically and ontologically correct if he had said before Abraham was I was because as the second person of the Godhead he's always existed and so before in fact in fact he could have gone on record and said you like Abraham well good thank you I created him (laughs) he could have said that but he said something amazing he said I am the great I am now they think he's a demon They think he's a Samaritan. They think he was born out of wedlock. They think he he was just Joseph and Mary's uh, little boy who grew up to be a carpenter. They thought that he was a very common, inconspicuous peasant who now made his way to the temple. And by the way, the context of this is all in the temple of Jerusalem. And now this guy has the audacity to put himself on the ideal equal plane with Almighty God. And man, I'm telling you, when religious people get mad, they can be deadly. Look, open your eyes. 
all over the world today, there are religious fanatics who think they are doing God a favor if they will kill you, and it is right here in Judaism, just like it is in Islam today, they reach for their stones, and they were ready to kill him because he disagreed with them, and if you disagree with me, in God's name, I will kill you, I'll do God a favor, send you to hell, and because I'm right and you're wrong. That's where they were, buddy. This is nothing new to God. This is nothing new to Jesus. And so they reached down, they picked up their stone, and this is, this is one of those amazing things. They, they could have thrown it in midair because he, he evaporated. I mean, he, he, how, let me ask you this. How do you get away from that many people? I mean, I'm, the disciples may be there, and as Jesus taught, they may have kept doing this. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, there's a fight coming. He just called them the, the children of the devil. He just called them a liar. They just called him a, they just called him a Samaritan. They just said he had a, de- oh, it's on like Donkey Kong. Let me get out of the way. They're about, it's about to happen. How do, you, how do you, if you're the figure of all of that, how do, you, how do you get away from that? I believe God just used some of his power, Jesus did, and he just, he just moved away from them, and they, they couldn't get him. He just dismissed himself. Augustine said this, very interesting. Yes, Jesus flees from the stones, but woe to those from whose heart of stone God flees. When Jesus said, I am, I thought about it Exodus 3.14 where it says, And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And then I thought of Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. And yet Jesus is here in the midst of them saying, I am God, and I've come. T.S. Eliot, y'all know T.S. Eliot, the famous author and poet, said this about Blaise. Pascal. In the preface in the book, Pensis, and by the way, you can read it online as I was reading it this week. It's a fascinating read. T.S. Eliot wrote these words about Blaise Pascal. He said, above all, he was a man of strong passions, and his intellectual passions for truth was reinforced by his passionate dissatisfaction with human life unless a spiritual explanation could be found. I wish people would say that about us, that we are passionate about the things that really matter. When I went to section 736 of Pensis and Blaise Pascal, in his own words, I want to read to you what he said about the doctrine of Christ. Quote, so I hold out my arms to my Redeemer. I wonder if Bill Gates has ever said that. In fact, Bill Gates could thank Blaise Pascal for the rudiments of the computer. But Bill Gates said, absolutely not. He said, there's a whole lot more things I could do on a Sunday than going to your church. Great men, great women, they love him or they hate him. And Blaise Pascal said, I hold out my arms to my Redeemer who having been foretold for 4,000 years, has come to suffer and to die for me on earth. At the time and under all the circumstances foretold, by His grace, 
I await death in peace. In the hope of being eternally united to Him, yet I live with joy. Now listen to this, church. Whether in the prosperity which it pleases Him to bestow upon me, or in the adversity which He sends for my good, and which He has taught me to bear by His example. End of quote. A prodigious mind, a tender heart. If you're here today in the great city of Austin, some would say the intellectual epicenter of of Texas, and depending on who you ask, the epicenter of the world. If you're of that academic persuasion, I, I really call you out today to think deeply. And no more of this Jesus being... And by the way, that is the popular slogan in Austin today. Oh, Jesus is cool. He's all right by me. He is not a threat to me because I've got him on this little platform here where he's a good moral teacher. He may have did some miracles. I don't know. But he's good. He said things like doing to others like that. You want him doing to you? And so I like him down there. But listen, you cannot do that and be intellectually honest. You either got to call him a demon or call him God. Those are, those are your options. You have no other option. And if you're wrong, you lose it all. Blaise Pascal would say, if you're wrong and he's right, you're eternally doomed in hell. I invite you today, those of you that are, are listening to me, and it doesn't matter whether you're here, there, or wherever, I invite you today to, to do what Christ has already given us a model to do, and that is surrender. Surrender our will to the will of God and just invite Him to be your Lord and to be your Savior. Some of you are thinking, Brother Danny, you don't know what that will cost me. And by the way, we have some very interesting people that that come in here, come in for a little bit, and they go out for a little bit, and they go over here for a little bit, and they come back here for a little bit. And, and, And you say, well, you just don't understand what that will mean, what that will mean in my marriage, what that will mean in my job, what that will mean in my lifestyle. Yes, I do understand completely. It means God changes you. And God comes into your life, and He becomes everything to you, and He will take care of your marriage. He will take care of your reputation. He will take care of your job and your finances. He will do everything for you, but the one thing He cannot do for you Bow your knees before the Son of God. I invite you to do that today. Some of you are here today, you've already done that. And if God did anything to you like He did to me when I was studying this text, He put it on me. He's my, all this honor. Why are you worried about all this honor? Why are you worried about what people think about you? Why are you worried about all that? Look at Christ. Just, just serve. Just serve Him. Love Him. Fall in love with Him. Walk with Him. Don't worry about all this other stuff. God will take care of all that other stuff. I don't know if that spoke to you spoke volumes to me. Some of you are here today and, you, and you're searching for a church home. You're searching for a place to belong, a place where you can link your life and, and you can worship God in your mind. And you can worship God with your passions and, and, and you can come and sing and you can come and serve and you can come and, and, and be engaged mentally and intellectually. And, I, and I'm glad that that's who I am. I'm, that's, that's who I am, okay? I'm not the smartest dude in the world by far. I'm not, but I love God, and I love to study, and I love to challenge you to think deeply. I wonder if we'd have 900 more here if I didn't preach like this, and I think I would. I think we would. Because people come to church, Chad, they're like, man, don't make me think. Just tell me something. Tell me something good. Tell me that you love me. No, no, no. 
Heavens, no. I'm going to tell you something great. You're a sinner going to hell. Jesus died on a cross, rose from the dead. He lives. He lives. And he wants to be your God. He wants to be your Savior. That is the greatest news. That is the greatest news a mere mortal human being can hear. That is the greatest news that I could ever utter from my mouth. And I call you, I challenge you to a deep walk with God this very day. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we enter into a time of invitation where God has tenderized our heart. And now we, we hear you, O oh God. Some, Lord, today hear you for the very first time. That, Lord, they can know you intellectually and, and they can know you passionately. And, and God, you're, you're good with that. In fact, you want that. So today, God, I pray for my brother, my friend who's here today, who's trying to figure everything out. Lord, please show him he cannot figure it all out. If he or she waits till they figure it all out, Lord, they will die. Help them have faith, oh God, today. Lord, please bless your church. Bless Great Hills Baptist Church. Lord, we, we want you to bless us, Lord. We want to reach the city, and we don't want to compromise as we reach it. We want to, Lord, we want you to add to your church. And may our numbers grow. Lord, may you continue to bring young adults. May you, thank you, Lord, for the 21 people who joined Sunday. We're, we're grateful for that. 21 people, Lord, who understand clearly who we are and who we are not. I pray that you continue to add to your church, Lord, so we can do the things, God, you want us to do. So, Lord, in a moment, we're going to stand. We're going to stand in your honor. And we're going to sing praise to you. And I pray, Lord, that you would move upon us in a sweet, powerful way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. Would you stand to your feet? Sing praise to the Lord. Others of you want to come, let us minister to you, let us pray with you, encourage you in any way. God bless you as you come.